Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Acts chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. Um, How would you like that name? What is your name? Theophilus. That's Theophilus' name in the world. That's just a little preacher humor there for you. He's just got to laugh. Theophilus, of all the Jesus both began both to do and to teach, thank you, my brother, until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, everyone say passion, by infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Everyone say kingdom of God. That's important. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, everyone say promise, of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. I'm glad. We heard of that. Aren't you glad you heard about that promise? For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Everyone say, Holy Ghost. Ghost. Not many days hence. And just skip down to verse 8. But ye shall receive power. Everyone say, power. Power. After that, the Holy Ghost. Everyone say, Holy Ghost. Ghost. Has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and unto the and, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, bless your word. Help us to do a good job in a little bit of time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I just had a panic moment. I opened my book and my sermon was gone. <laughs> you don't want to have that moment. I have a heart attack right here. Nate will have to bring me back to life while Lance is doing cardio. <laughs> CPR. Lance has just gotten certified. It'd be good. I'd be back to life in no time. So <laughs> in Acts chapter one, we see the promise of the Father, which is talking about the Spirit of God being delivered to the earth. For the Bible talks about that the promise had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified, meaning he had not died and been buried yet and resurrected. The promise that is referred to in the scripture here came to pass when we see that Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2. He tells them, you crucified the Lord and the Messiah. And they said, that's us. We did it. They were pricked in their heart. And then Acts 2.38, most of you can quote it, says, now when they had heard this, they were pricked or convicted of the sin that they had, they were convicted in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we deal with this? How do we save ourselves? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone say in Jesus Christ's name. That's important. What is, why are we getting baptized in the name of Jesus? For the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And for the promises unto you and to your children and all who are far off. Everyone say, that's us. That's us. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Is God still calling people? Amen. So as long as God's calling people, he's still pouring out his spirit. And so then he goes on to tell them a little bit later that this is that that was spoken of of the prophet Joel. In the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
So he was referring to, and previously actually, he was referring to the fact that the prophet Joel had said in verse 16 of chapter 2 before this, but this is that which is spoken of the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass after the, in the last days, everyone say the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Everyone say all flesh. It's really important that we understand that God gave this to everybody. Amen. It's good for everybody and all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm glad that I'm still seeing visions because that means I'm not too old yet. When I start seeing only dreams, I pray that God gives somebody else that can have the vision. And on my servants and on the handmaids, everybody say on the ladies. And on the men, and I will pour out of these days my, in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood, fire, vapor, and smoke. And I'm grateful for the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost because it tells me that God is interested in us because he made us his abode. He made us his place. And so when Jesus is preaching and teaching, he goes about demonstrating the gospel of God before the gospel was ever written. Before Peter ever said, repent and be baptized, he's demonstrating it through the supernatural power of God in him. So the gospel is not only a message, it's a demonstration. Somebody said amen. The demonstration of the Holy Ghost is very important because it is what allows a believer and an unbeliever to continue living for God. An unbeliever sees the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and is interested, intrigued by what's going on. And the believer is led and directed by the working of the Holy Ghost. And it says that if you are a true believer, a believer and you have been filled with the Holy Ghost, that these signs shall follow them that believe. We don't seek a sign. We don't go searching for a sign. We don't ask God to show himself in a way that shows that we are God's people because of the sign. The Bible says it follows us. So if we are full of the Holy Ghost, living for God, these signs shall follow them that believe. And I'm grateful for power and might. I have a friend of mine who was praying at the halter. He was down and he was praying and a lady came up and she wanted to hear. She was deaf. She had been deaf all her life, had never heard an audible sound her entire life, had no, no understanding of what sound is even like. She simply came down and she began to talk through her interpreter, kneeled down right in front of him as he was kneeled at the altar praying and she said I want to hear and tears were running down her face and the interpreter interpreted it and he said you want to hear well I believe God's a healer how many know God can still hear so he reached over and he laid hands on her like the Bible says and began to pray for her and as he began to pray for her her ears popped and there was a pain in her ears and the sound was so shocking to her that she yelled because she had never heard sound before. And she yelled, and then she began to worship God, and then she realized she was trying to tell the interpreter, and she was hearing herself make audible noises for the first time because she did not know how to speak. And so she had to actually learn how to speak off of the miracle. How many know that God does awesome things in our life? If we believe Him, He can heal. And I still believe in a healing God. I still believe in the working and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And so we, she had a responsibility and a job to do because not only could she still talk, but then she could learn how to talk. So sometimes miracles put pressure on us to do things. That's not my sermon. That's free. I'm going to move along. What happened was in the, in the interest of time, I want to move along and tell you that there is an importance for us to understand that we're not just fighting a fight of faith. We have an advantage through the Holy Ghost. 
You have to understand that. And in understanding that, you have to realize that we are anchored to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But I want to tell you that the reason why he baptizes or he overwhelms us with the Holy Ghost is because there's a lot of other things trying to overwhelm us in life. Amen? And it's interesting how God works with us. Now, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is God kind of throws me into the deep end and lets me try to swim. He just kind of overwhelms me. He's got a, he's got a reputation of baptizing us <laughs> in the name. And so what I found out was whenever I get overwhelmed, that there is somebody who can overrule what my emotions are feeling, and he can help me through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? So my statement to you today is, in overwhelming times, we need an overruling God. Amen? And so I want you to also know that no devil can determine your destiny. No devil can take you out of God's hand. No devil can take you out of God's plan. Someone said amen. So you have to understand that even though we're fighting the fight of faith, and even though we are trying to do a work of God, even in this city as we try to grow a church, I want you to know and hear the Spirit of God today, if you would, that God is not intimidated by any spiritual prince of the area. He's not intimidated by any difficulty that we come against. He has literally designed us to have an advantage over the environments that we walk in and that we pray for and that we design to the kingdom of God. And so... In that, I have to tell you, I hear the Spirit saying to the church this morning, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if you can't believe that, you need to pray till your faith latches onto it and well, pow, you got an anchor. You know what I'm saying? You got to do something till you literally got it down in your spirit. And you got to be able to rise up and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? You have to have that embedded in your spirit. And then you can flip right over to the next verse, which is in Romans, I believe. It says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And despite somebody's translation of that, I want to tell you that the NI in the NLV, some have said it's a lesser translation, but it says this. We are more than conquerors for that area. It says we are more than, despite all of this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. That's how it translates. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. So when you're overwhelmed, just grab on to his overwhelming victory. Amen? amen. Hallelujah. Can I get a amen in here for that? Oh, praise God. So there's some things you need the Holy Ghost for, and I want to go through these. Number one, I have seven. I'll go quick. Number one, you need the Holy Ghost in times of life when you feel overwhelmed. The Bible says that when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock who is higher than I. Amen? And so that rock becomes a place of safety, a place where you can stand, a place where you can hold on to. It's interesting to note that whenever you receive the Holy Ghost, you are changed. There is a change that takes place in you. And it's not just a change that we preach about or that we take from the Word of God. We can step into the secular world and we can see it. A friend of mine that I was talking to, he said, you should go out and check out the, uh, the study from Ohio State University that came out. He said they did an electromagnetic study on the human body. And how many know that a, a, what an echocardiograph is? It studies the heart, right? It, it monitors the electrical waves of the heart as the heart beats. Everything in your body responds to electricity. How many have ever been shocked before? You've touched something? Oh, that hurts. That feels real good, doesn't it? Have you ever been shocked good enough to where it caused your muscles to respond? What did your muscles do? They tensed. They fired. Yeah. Why? Because everything in your body runs on electricity. 
your muscles fire, your nerves fire, interconnection between nerve systems and synapses fire on electricity, Inter, intercell responses, intercell communication happens through electricity. Did you know that? You are a walking electrical being. So that is why you have electrical current flowing through you. And if you take two magnets, have you ever done this, and tried to push two magnets at the same pole together? And you're trying to, and then you turn them around. Have you ever done this? Have you turned them around and where they're, it's two poles, right? Positive and negative. And what happens is whenever you try to put them together and they want to go together and you try to hold them apart, have you ever done that? You're trying to keep them apart and then all of a sudden they go together because they're attracted to one another. We have polar and negative cells in our bodies. We have ions and nucleus and, and there's, there's um, atoms. And in the, within an atom, there's, there's positive and negative ions. So in every piece of our body, there is a neg negative or positive charge. There are things happening electrical all throughout our body. While we're sitting here, there's, there's responses coming from the brain that tells your heart to beat. There's responses coming from the brain to tell your liver and things to process. You, you have all kinds of things going on in your body that you don't even think about, but they're all responding to electrical pulses. So Ohio State University thought this was quite interesting. So they did a study, and they brought in people to, to try to figure out, is there a protrusion from the body of those electrical forces? Is there some sort of aura, as they used to call it? Remember when people talk about auras or, or energy or presence? Well, what happens, they found out, is that according to the health of your body, you have an energy field that emanates off of your body a certain distance. So you literally enter a room before you enter a room. Isn't that interesting? So what they found out as they were doing studies was that people who were sick had less of a distance that their particular um, magnetic field or force left their body and traveled than people that actually were healthy. Healthier people, they could sense that, that electromagnetic uh, um, physical thing from their body almost 15 feet away from them. And they would interact. Have you ever been standing somewhere and someone sneaks up behind you and you know they're there without knowing that they're there? Have you ever had that happen? You sense the change. Have you ever had someone get too close to you and you got uncomfortable? There's always, we always have this bubble. We talk about the bubble. That's what they're talking about. So what they did is they took certain devices that could see these electromagnetic pulses coming off the human body and they analyzed different people. Well, there was a pastor of a Pentecostal church in Ohio near the campus and the, the professor had called that particular doctor pastor because he has his degree and talked to him and he offered some people in his congregation to go into the study. So when they got done with the study, the professor comes back to the pastor and he said, can you tell me what is different about the people that go to your church than the people that were in the rest of the study because their magnetic field was different than the magnetic field that was around anybody else. And what the pastor had to tell him was, well, you don't understand. They received power after that the Holy Ghost was come upon them. They were molecularly changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so what you may not know and what I'm trying to communicate to you today is there is a strong conviction in my heart that you must be born of water and of spirit because it gives you an altercation in your natural life and your spiritual life and it changes you from your cells up isn't that awesome and so what they were doing was they're saying there's something different about the way their force field is made up and and so he was like talking about in a force field. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about Star Wars stuff here. You know, I'm not being all crazy. But what was happening was they were, they were seeing this, this emanation 
from their bodies being different. And so then another group got a hold of that information. And they started working on some camouflage because they realized that animals pick up on the electromagnetic impulses off of our body. They can tell we're there before we're there. They pick up on scent, and they can also sense that there's something different in the atmosphere. So what happened was this company with camouflage built a camouflage with magnetic, with a magnetic pulse inside of it that blocked the ability for your magnetic forces to get outside. And they put this for the first test. They put this on a guy that it blocked his magnetic forces, and he literally crawled into a herd of elk without being noticed because they couldn't tell he was there. But when he took off the camouflage, they bolted. <laughs> they, they recognized by the magnetic force. Have you ever been walking through the woods or any hunters here? Do we have any hunters? Any hunters? All right, we have some hunters. Have you ever had a, a, an animal stop and look at you and you're not moving and they can't really see you? I, I, it's interesting, but I don't know all the details. But I found it very interesting that they used camouflage to mask the actual the actual aura of a person. And so the interesting thing that I then began to think is I wonder how God's armor works. I wonder how it is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, but against principalities and powers, it's spiritual wickedness in high places. And then I started thinking, I wonder if his armor allows us to walk up on the enemy without him knowing that we walked up on him. I wonder if his armor gives us an advantage. And I started studying it, and I can tell you that there's specific language used in the scripture that talks about the Holy Ghost that gives us an advantage over the enemy. And I'm so grateful for it because there's times whenever I'm fighting wars I don't understand, spiritual battles I don't quite have my head around, but whenever I get on my knees and I begin to pray, I feel like God puts spiritual camouflage on me and lets me walk into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from me and take back what he's trying to destroy and destroy his plans and his efforts because he didn't see me coming because God is able to change us. Now I'm not giving you strong fact right now. I'm just preaching right now and I hope that's okay. But I want you to know that number two is that you need the Holy Ghost because it convicts us. It convicts us. Romans 8, 33 and 34, if you'd go there, Nate, for us today. Romans 8, 33 and 34, the Bible talks about that in the sense that God does not condemn us. So we look at who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, or who shall, who shall accuse them of anything. It is God that justifieth. When God justifies you, you're justified. I remember in Bible college, Brother Mooney came out and he had a tie. And his tie, every time he tied it, the back part on the back of the tie would stick below the part that was at the end. You know, so he'd have, he'd, he'd come to the pulpit and he'd be preaching and his wife would be trying to catch his attention because the back end of the tie was sticking out and it was really annoying to her. She was, it was bugging her half to death. So one day he was tying his tie and he's like, honey, I know this bothers you, but I can't seem to get these ties to, to do right, to, you know, have the one in the back be smaller than the one in the front. And so she walked over with a pair of scissors and she cut it off. And she said, you'll never have a problem with it again. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he got in the pulpit that day. He said, look what my wife did to my tie. <laughs> 
He said, this is justification. It's just as if it was never there before. So what he said was, if you put that scripture back up there kindly, I appreciate that. When God has justified us, no one can accuse us because we have walked through the blood of Jesus Christ and we've been saved. So it's just as if it was never there. So when someone comes to the house of God, we may talk to them a little bit about where they've been, what they've done, and how God needs to heal them, and God needs to save them, and God needs to wash them of their sins. But once God washes them, I'm not interested in talking to you about what you used to be. I'm interested in talking to you about what you're going to be in God now, because everything behind you is a closed door. You've been washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit, and justified by faith in God. It's just as if it was never there. So I love that. God that justifieth. Does that make sense to you now? I hope that helps. Romans 34, look at this. So then it says, so then it says, who is he that condemneth? Who condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even the right hand, at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He said, who's condemning? It's not God. He's making intercession for us. It's Jesus Christ is literally praying for us. And that that particular statement is very powerful because it pushes away all condemnation in our life. We don't have to live condemned. Amen. And if you are living condemned, hear me today. Condemnation pushes you away from God. So you know it's condemnation. You know it's not from God. If it's saying you'll never be good enough, you'll never do it right, you're never going to add up. You're not good enough to be a Christian because you keep making mistakes. That is all condemnation. That's not God's voice. So you need to just say, devil, talk to the hand or something. You know, do like the teenagers do. Talk to that. But there's conviction that happens, and that's God drawing us. Amen? He's drawing us. John 3.17 said it was God who sent into the world not to condemn the world but to save it. Amen? So for God sent his son not into the world to condemn it, the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It says this in several places. We have now no condemnation, Romans 8.1. I don't have that in my notes. Sorry, bro. It just came up. God told me to say it. <laughs> we have now no condemnation in them who are in Christ Jesus, uh, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But this is important. Are you walking after the spirit? Because if you're not walking after the spirit, condemnation gets real loud. But when you're walking after the Spirit, all you can hear is the drawing of God. He's like, come on. we got more to do. You have advantage. You have a, you have a, a hope. You have an opportunity, amen, to do great things for God. You, no, number three, let's move on. You need the Holy Ghost because it's the answer. It's the anchor for your soul. And Now, I need some help. I need some help. Can I? Um, oh, boy. I'm going to need some help. Ben, can I use you? Is that all right? I won't embarrass you, I promise. Come on up. Okay, Ben is going to be Jesus. Everybody give Jesus a hand. <laughs> so, uh, Ben, I'm going to have you hold on to that. So the Bible says that he's an anchor. So go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, if you would. And I'm going to read this to you. How many know the Holy Ghost seals us? And now that I've read that study from Ohio State, I'm like, man, that's awesome. God has literally sealed us and made us different by the touch of the Holy Ghost. And it's important that we understand that too. So Hebrews 16, for men barely swear by the greater uh, by the greater, and the oath. This is important. I'm not reading something strange here. We'll get to that. And an oath for confirmation is of them at the end of all strife. Go to the next verse. We're going to go down a few, couple of verses just so you know. Wherein God willing, 
more, uh, we're in God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Everyone say promise. That's, that's the word we read it before. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. He said, I swear that I'm going to do some things for you, and I can swear, I can make an oath because I'm able to do it, because God is unable to lie. How many know that? Can I get your attention for just a minute? I want to tell you a really cool concept. Are you ready for this? I'm going to just blow your mind. You ready? This is awesome. This was awesome for me, so I'm going to share it with you. Everybody say, I'm listening, Pastor. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. Some people think that. It's impossible for God to lie. And some people think that, well, that means that God never tells a lie. But that's not what that means. It is impossible for God to lie because His Word is creative. So when God says something, it becomes what He says it becomes. So God cannot lie, not because He's telling an untruth or He's hiding anything, because God, is, God doesn't hide things. But when God looks at that speaker, and if He was to say, that speaker is white, and we all know that that speaker's black. God did not lie. That speaker would turn white the instant he said it because of his creative word. So God, when the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie, what actually it's saying is when God says something that seems like an untruth to you, when he speaks something to you and you seem like that's not going to happen, what he is saying actually has to happen because it's impossible for God to lie. Do you see what I'm saying there? So what happens is we, we see God talking here where he makes a note. Let's go to the next verse real quick. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, I got to that already, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Next verse. And it says, which hope we have as an anchor. Everyone say an anchor. For the soul, both sure and steadfast, which is which entereth into that within the veil. So what is that that it's talking about? I always thought that meant that it just entered into the holy place, into the veil. But it says it entered into that within the veil. It's talking about Jesus Christ in my understanding. So it's saying that our anchor is in Jesus Christ. And so when we get anchored to him, we make our faith faith and promise known to God. We get filled with the Holy Ghost. We get saved and that anchor becomes sure. Now I want you to hold on. Don't let go of that, okay? So the Bible says that the Holy Ghost leads and guides us to all truth, right? It talks about that. So when we are living for God, we, we're, we get real close to Him. He's our buddy. We're hanging out. Just us and Jesus. And then what happens is we begin to live life. And sometimes when you're living life, things happen and you can drift. How many know drift happens? But there's a certain point where the Holy Ghost will convict, and it'll pull your rope. It'll pull your chain. You know what I'm saying? Hello, somebody. And so what it does is it pulls you back toward him. Thank you, Ben. You're doing a great job. I didn't even explain it, and he's already doing it. And then there's other times where we can get out, and we can get confused, or we can think we need to go, oh, we need to go this direction. This is, this is what we need to do. And oh, See, that can happen, too. <laughs> that can happen, too. If you don't let God pull you back, I, I got to wrap my arm around it there. If you don't let God pull you back, you can get lost in confusion. And you can get lost and think that God has left you. And really, you stopped letting him pull you back to him. And we all tend to do this. This is not like uh, just, uh, I don't, it's me and Jesus, we don't hang out right here all the time, okay? There are some times when my personality and when my actual life and things happen, and I feel like I'm praying, but I feel like I'm this far away. And I feel like, you know, maybe sometimes I feel like I'm this far. It's called the human condition, okay? Yeah. 
It's just the human condition. And there are times whenever we try to go and do things that we think that we can do, and God said, that's not for you right now. I don't want that for you right now. I want you to, I want you to come over here. And so we're like, okay, I'll go this way. God's directing me. He's like, no, 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 that's not it. I want you to be out. In here. So he does this, and he becomes the anchor for our soul. Amen? And why that's important. Thank you, Ben. Everybody give Ben a big hand. Why is that important that the Holy Spirit is your anchor? Because you're anchored to that that cannot be defeated. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. God, God is not going to change location on you. If you stop hearing from God, it's because you moved. If you feel distant from God, it's because you moved, not him. And so if you, have, if you have taken off the restraints and said, I don't, I don't want what God wants from me. I don't want to listen. And there's areas where we all tend to do that. We all tend to not want to listen. Amen. But we have to give ourselves over to the Holy Ghost and let it work on us because it's in, impossible for God to lose. It's impossible for God to fail. And if we stay anchored to that anchor, it's really important that we know that he will work on us. So the challenge is to hold on to hope. Amen? Hold on to God. And number four, you need the Holy Ghost to see the kingdom of God. I need another volunteer. I'm not going to pick on Ben this time. I'm trying to hurry. Brandon's looking down. He's like, don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Can I, can I use you, Rolly? Would that be all right? It'll only take a minute. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 3 real quick, if you would, Nate. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures, and then I'm going to demonstrate it. Would you put this on for me? It's a, it's a sleep mask. It's never been used. Just, I'm pretty sure it's never been used. <laughs> Just got it out of the wrapper. That, that's nice. That's nice. Very nice. And make sure you can't see. Go ahead and pull the flap of material down. Okay, if you fall asleep and fall over, I'm not responsible for any damages, okay? So we're going to put this on, and we're just going to let you stand there for a minute, okay? And I'm probably not going to have you walk around the room, but I may. It might be funny. So, number four, you need the Holy Ghost to see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 through 5 says this. Jesus was talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him at night. And he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see. Everyone say see. The kingdom of God. That's interesting, isn't it? Now let's go down just a little bit more. Next verse. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? He was like, How do I enter my mother's womb again? I don't understand this concept. He, how can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Next verse. Jesus repeats himself. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I always thought that was a repeat. I thought Jesus was saying the same thing over. But the reason why I'm starting to see that a little bit differently is because when I was praying over this, I was like, okay, he said, see the kingdom of God. And then he said, enter the kingdom of God. And God doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wants to repeat himself. So if you look at the previous verse in 3, he says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it allows you to see the kingdom of God. I believe that's what we have when we experience the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, that God opens our eyes to the kingdom of God at work in this earth. He allows us to see the kingdom of God working. And so that, he goes on to explain again that you cannot enter 
the kingdom of God. So he was giving more emphasis to what he was saying. So the important thing is if you haven't been born of water and of spirit, he wasn't talking about natural birth there at all. He was talking about spiritual birth, baptism in water in the name of Jesus and infilling of the Holy Ghost. So what you have to know is that we are literally blind to the kingdom of God at work in this earth until we are filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what I believe he was telling Nicodemus and later you have to understand Nicodemus was a religious ruler he knew the Torah he knew the Bible he knew his word and so when Jesus was amazed at his understanding how he could not understand what he was saying he explained himself even further and said you're not even going to enter into the kingdom of God if you haven't been born of water and of spirit you're not going to be able to see the kingdom of God at work in the earth and you're not going to enter the kingdom that's coming that's what he was saying, and I really feel that's important. Now, if the Bible says the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. So if I was to put on one of these, you and I would have a rough time walking around, wouldn't we? Yeah, it would be difficult. But what happens is when you receive the Holy Ghost, you take the blinders off. Are you ready? Leave your eyes open as best as you can. Are you ready? The light kind of hurt, didn't it? Not too bad in here. Good. You can have a seat. Give him a big hand. When you put those on for a long period of time, not that I have tried it <clears throat> or anything, <laughs> and then you, and you take them off, the light actually hurts your eyes. So whenever you get full of the Holy Ghost, God begins to speak to you. And there are some things that may seem very strong, but it will help you. So being born of the, Holy, born of the Spirit is actually being filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost always comes with a sound. There's always a sound associated with the Holy Ghost in Scripture. So now the glossiel, I want not, I'm not going to go into the words because it's just it's too deep today. I'm going to hit more of it next week for actual, the actual words that are used in Scripture for the Holy Ghost because I'm, out of, I'm running out of time, and you guys are so patient and so good today. You need the Holy Ghost to live a victorious life, number five. You need the Holy Ghost to live a victorious, Romans 8, 2. Grab that for me real quick, Nate, if you would. And I will deal with this part of it. Romans 8 and 2. We're going to get there. I'm going to work this out for you right now. Let me show you something. Victorious life. A victorious life in... Okay, let me tell you a story first. Okay, I got to tell you the story. I wanted to tell it to you, and I, I, I forgot to write it in my notes. I went to New York to do an installation at a college. Everybody say, um, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost speaks to us in very real ways. I literally woke up weeping for people who are bound. It happened in New York. I just, I rolled over my bed and I woke up speaking in tongues because we were not designed to be bound in any way. We were designed to live free. And so, and that's important to know because the scripture says for the law, for the law of the spirit of life, everyone say spirit of life. That word spirit right, that is, right there is pneuma. The same word that is used all throughout Scripture when it talks about being filled with the Spirit of God. So it says, there is a spirit of life in Christ Jesus, hath made me free. That word free right there is an actual word called eleutero. I can't even say it hardly. Eleutero, that's what it is. Sets, it's, the definition of that word free is to set at liberty from the dominion of sin. 
So you actually take on God's kingdom into your life and you're able to see God's kingdom and you step out of a kingdom or a dominion. Kingdom just means the king's dominion. You step out of a dominion that you used to be in where the curse of sin and death was over your life and you step into the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Oh, I hope I can help you today because that is awesome. That is awesome. So the the reason you need the Holy Ghost is it's difficult to live a victorious life if you haven't been filled with the Spirit, the pneuma of life. You can't have dominion over sin. You will struggle with the same bad habits, the same problems, the same trauma, and the same struggles and, and, and behavior that you've had struggle with all your life until you get filled with the Holy Ghost. He begins to draw you, and you'll never be the same. You'll change. And, and I see that in the Scripture that it says that He is able to keep us from falling, literally the, able, the ability to keep us from sinning. When I was a younger man, I decided I was going to go do something that I knew was a sin. I premeditated. My friend had invited me out to a party. I decided I'm going to go try it. I didn't know anything about party life. I snuck out the back window, crunched my way through all the snow, got in a car, freezing cold because he didn't have a heater. We drove our way out into the middle of Timbuktu. I don't know where it was. Yeah, there's plenty of moose there. And we were out there and they had this party in this house and there was people upstairs doing ungodly things. People downstairs, they handed me a beer. I had a beer in my hand. I tried half a beer, and I was so disgusted. I almost filled the can back up. It was just nasty. So I wanted to be cool, so I carried around a half a can of beer to the whole party. I was like, yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm not drinking anything, but I'm awesome because I have a can of beer. And there's this, so I sit down because I'm tired, and there's this guy next to me that looks at me and goes, isn't the party great? And he falls out, and he's out like cold, and he's just like not even available. I'm like, bro, you okay? And he's just like, <laughs> he's gone. You know, he's so plastered. It's not even funny. And so I, I wanted to do this because I thought, well, maybe I'll, get, I'll fit into the cool crowd at school. Maybe I'll get it. I was such a dork. It was not even funny. So I was trying just to fit in. And, and so I go and I premeditate this thing. But did you know that sometimes when you decide that you're going to do something, and I hope you're not doing this now, but when you decide to do something that is not of God, that if you have the Holy Ghost, He will keep you from it. He will literally keep you from being able to do it. And so God brought that to me, and I was like, man, that's awesome that God actually works in our life to keep us from doing sin. So then number four, I hope I helped you with that. That makes sense, right? Did that make sense? We need the spirit, the pneuma of God, the spirit of life. The same thing that says you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Pneuma has come upon you. So the, the, the word um, power in the scripture there is dunamis. It means dynamite. So when God puts the power in you, the dynamite's in you, the trigger's in the word of God. It's kind of interesting. So whenever I'm preaching, it's like the trigger rolls out to you and the dunamis inside you, the Holy Ghost, starts to light up because you're excited about the word of God that you're hearing. And all of a sudden, there's this like this explosion inside of you and you feel God's presence and you have to respond to it. It's the power of the Holy Ghost activating inside of you. It's really kind of cool. That's not even in my notes. I don't know why I said that. But anyways, so you need number six. You need the Holy Ghost because it strengthens your spirit. Jude chapter 1, if we could go there real quick. Jude chapter 1 verse 14 is where I want to begin. The Bible says that you can strengthen yourself praying in the Holy Ghost. The Bible uses praying in your understanding and praying in the Holy Ghost. How many know the difference? One is praying in 
in the tongue that God gave you, the Holy Ghost, and the other is praying in the natural, like speaking. They did a study that I'm going to bring to you next week. I want you to be here to watch it. It's, it's a YouTube study, and it shows how the brain actually shuts down in the frontal lobe when you're speaking in tongues, that the brain actually goes into rest. This is the rest. We should call the weary to rest. I used it last week in my sermon. God is actually just confirming his word through science. It's so neat. So anyways, I'll get back to my point. And Enoch also, the seventh from, the, from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Next verse. That, that was a good place to start, I thought. So it makes sense. To execute, to execute judgment upon all the, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. There's a whole lot of ungodly going on there. <laughs> they have ungodly committed. And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Go to the next verse. These are murmurers, complainers. Please don't be a complainer because that's the wrong side. You're on the wrong team. <laughs> Don't do that. Walking after their own lust and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration. They admire men because of advantage. There's the word advantage. And so the word actually is ophelia, which means useful advantage or profit. They think they have the advantage. But if you go on to the next verse, sorry about that, Nate. I didn't mean to have you pull that down. But beloved, remember ye have words which were spoken before of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. Who, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Continue. Verse 19. These be they who separate themselves sensual having not the pneuma, having not the spirit. Go on to the next verse. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the holy pneuma. Do you see what is, what's going on there? That we always reference this verse, but we don't read any of the previous stuff that talks about how men of this world think they have the advantage because of those that they connect to, the, the education, the murmuring, all of the stuff that's done by men of this world. They feel they have an advantage over those that are in the church. But the Bible says that you should pray in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith, because that is actually, the you are actually the ones who have the advantage. You are actually the ones that have the power. So that is what I wanted to share with you because I saw it, and I don't know if that came off. Maybe I'm doing a good job. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. The word will go forward anyways. So higher power has an effect on us. How many know that, um, that they were, with that study that I talked about, they studied some of the effects of high power lines, and they were showing how it affected cows producing milk and stuff like that that were near them. And they said that people that lived near high power lines would develop issues in their body because they live closer to a magnetic or electrical force that was higher than their body's electrical force, and it would change them. It would change the molecular structure and cause cancer cells to grow and things like that. And so they were trying to prove out, does, does living near high power cause cancer in the physical body? And I want you to know that we are supposed to live near the highest power, and that power will change our natural bodies. It will change us to be more like him one day, but it also changes us throughout our life. 
It alters our spiritual man. Amen? And number seven, you need the Holy Ghost because it's the armor for spiritual battles and discernment. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'll finish there today. It talks about several things that are really important. I think I'm just going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 because I want to be there by the time I'm done here. Um, the importance of standing and and having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness on and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all things, taking the shield of faith. Someone said, Amen. Wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always. Praying always. Everyone say, Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It's important that we understand that we have to armor up. And I already used some of the illustration that I wanted to use with the camouflage, but I, I can tell you this. In all of this, in preparing this sermon, I felt God tell me that there's someone in this room that feels like the enemy is defeating them. And you've come here today, and I want you to know that is not the case. You have a great advantage over the enemy. There is a painting. You can stand with me if you would. There's a painting in Brussels. And I've used this illustration before. Pardon me if I used it whenever you were here. It strikes me very interesting because the painting is called Faust. And it's of a man who played the dole, played a chess match with the devil for his soul. And you can look it up online, just Google it if you want. The painting is called Faust. And what happened was the painter painted a board of chess pieces, and he painted the pieces where Faust was in a checkmate and was unable to move. The devil had won him in that game for Faust's soul. And there was a great chess master that came to Brussels and went into the museum. And he stood there all day long staring at the painting and staring at the way the pieces were positioned on the chessboard. And it was getting toward the end of the day and the museum was closing. And all of a sudden, a blood-curdling yell came from down the halls. And he was yelling, it's a lie. It's a lie. He has one move left. He had studied the board to the point where he noticed that Faust had one move left. And if he made that move, he saw all the subsequent moves, being a chess master, where he would put the devil in checkmate. <laughs> and the interesting thing to me, it just spoke volumes. I don't know if it helps you at all, but it spoke volumes to me because the devil may think he played us. The devil may think he has us in a corner. And no matter who you are, if you feel defeated today, I want you to know you have a move left. You have an opportunity through the power of the Holy Ghost to be filled with God's Spirit today. To be filled with His Spirit today. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you bring the lights down for me, bro, I want you to have the Holy Ghost today. Now this is important that you hear me. When the Holy Ghost moves on you, the Bible says that there's a sound 
There was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. The Bible likens the Holy Spirit to wind. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going, but we hear the sound thereof. There is always a sound associated with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible also says that when you receive the Holy Ghost, you speak in tongues. You may feel like dancing. You may feel joy inside. You may feel like being overwhelmed. But there is something that accompanies the Holy Ghost, and it is a certain sound. And God chose the tongue to make that sound. James talks about the tongue being the most vile member. It's a little member that starts big fires. I talked to somebody about that. I was talking to you, Lance, about that last night. And what we were, what we were learning when we, when we came to God is that He wants to do more in us through the power of the Spirit. But when He speaks through us, it's as the Spirit gives utterance. And so you may feel like it's gibberish or just baby talk or something like that when you first start speaking in a heavenly language, but I want you to know that God begins to work through it, and he starts using it, and it's an utterance that's given by the Holy Ghost, and so he touches the most vile part of us to make us pure. And so whenever you come to God, if you come to the altar today, I'm going to make the altar available. But if you come to God and you want to receive the Holy Ghost, I'm going to ask you to begin to lift your hands because nobody gets the Holy Ghost begging God for it. You don't say, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. You don't beg God for the Holy Ghost. You begin to praise Him for the Holy Ghost. And when you praise Him, you make yourself available to the Spirit of God feeling you. And when the power of God comes upon you, you know it because you will speak in other tongues. Now, some say, well, I don't need a sign that God's Spirit has come upon me. The Bible says that His Spirit will come upon you after you believe in. When you believe in faith and you lift your hands and you begin to receive from God, you can say whatever you want to start praying. You can say, God, you're awesome. God, you're the bomb. Whatever you want to say. But you have to use your tongue. And when you begin to worship Him using your tongue, His Spirit can fall upon you and He will give you a language that you do not know, that you've never learned, and you will begin to speak in a language that is God's language for you, a heavenly language. And He said, that is the initial sign that you've received the Holy Ghost. Or how else would you know? If the Spirit moves from place to place, how do you know whether you're feeling the Spirit of God around you? If you're picking up on that, or if you're feeling the God abiding in you. Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born from above in order to see, in order to enter. 